I'm Jerry Durham. And I'm Andrew Rothschild. And we are the Healthcare Disruption Podcast, bringing you information, ideas, and thoughts from the outer edges of healthcare, and sometimes even from outside of healthcare, where the true changes will occur. What we believe is the singular focus on the patient will bring about the only true change in healthcare. Thank you for coming and enjoy today's show. All right, welcome back to the Healthcare Disruption Podcast. I'm Jerry Durham, and like you know, happens time to time. Unfortunately, uh, my sidekick, Andrew Rothschild, is not here today, but you know, you don't always see Batman with Robin. Sometimes Robin is on his own, and sometimes Batman runs solo. Of course, we do better as the duo, but today it's just Batman running alone. And I think the Batman lead-in is perfect for today's show because I have one of my superhero people here, one of my mentors, one of the people I've always looked up to. And if you know the word relationship-centered care, or if you've heard me use that word, then I better have mentioned this guy's name. And on the podcast with me today is uh, John Wolf. Do you, you got a DPT behind your name, don't you, John? No, I don't. You don't. I, I, I all right, so we don't have to call you. All right, so we don't have you to call you Doctor John Wolf. You do not have to do that today. I won't tell people what Someday. I typically. Uh, yeah. All right. I won't tell people what I typically call you. So we will just refer to you as John Wolf. <laughs> That'll be better for everybody. <laughs> yes, it will. Perfect. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm so excited. Um, again, some of you do know and have heard me talk about John. Um, with relation to the patient experience, with the term relationship-centered care, I have constantly, from the day I first met John, first heard John, I have constantly been pestering him. He uh, made the mistake of giving me his cell phone number, so he gets text from me all the time. Sometimes he responds. Sometimes he does not, let's be honest. But um, I'm really excited to have him on the show because um, if anybody really fits the healthcare disruption podcast and the patient experience and patient focus and patient first, then it's Mr. John Wolf. Uh, John, why don't you uh, tell people a little bit about you and what's going on these days? Hey, Jerry, thanks for having me on the show. Um, and back to it so that your listeners understand. Yes, I do get text messages from Jerry and I'll bug him equally with, uh, with a question about one thing or another. And the truth is, everyone's going through some sort of disruption right now. I think it's fair to say that if your life isn't some way being disrupted by something, then I don't know if you're fully engaged in what's going on. So when someone gets together or someone uh, pokes their uh, bald head out there and says, hey, you know what? I need to put some way of categorizing it and helping people frame it up with a podcast. I mean, I'm happy to be a part of that. So I can put my bald head into the, uh, into the equation. So really, right now I'm up in uh, I'm up in Seattle, Jerry. I, I came up and I, I taught a course for a group of colleagues on Bainbridge Island, which is a beautiful part of the world. And uh, although I, there's something interesting behind me, there there are trees, and they're green, and there's this wet stuff coming out of the sky. And uh, a guy from Tucson, Arizona, doesn't really know what to do with all this. That is that that is perfect. I was going to say, make sure you set that context. That usually you're looking at flat, and the only green thing is a yeah. cactus behind you. That's pretty awesome. much yeah, and some trees with some thorns on it. But uh, no, this is quite an experience. So I'm having a great time. I had a great group this weekend, all of whom were interested in, in better understanding relationship-centered care. So tell us a little bit, John, let's jump right into it. And anybody who's listened to me or this podcast, we don't need much introduction to 
to relationship-centered care or putting that patient first. And just for some context, John and I spoke, what, about three weeks ago now, four weeks ago, at the California Physical Therapy Association Conference. Mm -hmm. And that is the, my God, I'm drawing a blank. That is the first time we've presented, no, second time we've presented together. First time I let John, um, because I knew he had so much value to add, uh, CSM about four years ago, had John present after the patient panel that I had brought to CSM. And it was the perfect segue. And so then California Physical Therapy Association just grouped us together and said, hey, we want you both to present. So I went to John and said, you got all this great content. Tell me where I fit in. And I, I think we did a great job. And I've actually taken that presentation already and revamped it a few times over. So um, we have been working a lot together recently. We believe in a lot of the same things. So why don't you tell everybody, John, what you were doing this weekend and maybe get in the weeds a little more with that. Right. Well, there's a, there's a theme that I've noticed throughout the entire uh, experience and, and uh, my own journey through healthcare and having done all of the specific training to become a manual therapist and become a clinical expert with your hands and understanding all the biomechanics and motor control and all of the uh, and all of that stuff that we are technically trained to do I mean we've got all that stuff dialed in as physical therapists and uh, even colleagues who are at the course they would notice you know what about those guys who are really really well trained but yet aren't getting great outcomes or on the other hand a lot of guys who are trained or people who are trained who are not, uh, who are getting great outcomes. And great outcomes, I think, is, is one of those really big questions. So, I mean, what are the attribution factors to people getting better? What's really necessary? And the research right now is coming out in droves to recognize that anything that we do with a patient, anything, is going to be better, a better outcome in the context of a therapeutic alliance. And uh, I mean, I caught on to this about six years ago, seven years ago, even earlier than that, because it was about that time I started working with behavioral health specialists. So the colleagues that I started working with about 10 years ago um, kind of brought me into an understanding of exactly what's happening and what I'm paying attention to and what I'm not paying attention to. And what I recognized was uh, was that, man, I wasn't paying attention to a whole lot of cues, communication cues uh, that the patient was presenting. And the consequence of that is I blow right past that stuff. And when you blow past it, you run the risk of truly not connecting with the patient. So I've studied this for the past 10 years to try to put together a scientific explanation of, well, what actually happens between the patient and the provider? And then how do we optimize that? And then when we talk about the patient experience and kind of how you've kind of framed it all up, I'm really interested in, in the interpersonal experience. I mean, what exactly happens between the patient and the provider? And there's a whole evolving science, uh, neuroscience specifically, about exactly what happens. So I've put all this together so that, so that uh, physical therapists or other healthcare providers can feel really safe in uh, understanding it. Let me, um, John, sorry wrote down a couple things that I think we need to move forward here. Let's go back here because everybody on the podcast will understand that term. Well, excuse me, different. 
mm. will will understand the term therapeutic alliance. And you brought that up very quickly in this. So will you do me a favor and will you explain, not necessarily define, but explain what therapeutic alliance is in context of relationship-centered care in this interpersonal communication stuff? Stuff, by the way. Happy to do that, right? Stuff, right. Well, you know, the buzzword right now, Jerry, is patient-centered care. And patient-centered care is this idea, it's a reaction, if you will, to what was previously known as expert-centered care. So the pendulum has swung. And, and back in the day, you'd be able to go to see your doctor, and the doctor would say, you know what, this is your problem. You need to do this. You need to exercise more. You need to take this pill, or you need to uh, whatever. And and there was a time, I think, maybe a couple of generations ago, where we would just take that at face value and say, okay, we would just do it. Um, nowadays, however, uh, what's happened as a result of this, this pushback against the expert knowing everything and the inability to include the patient in the process was a swing to patient-centered care. So now we're in this age of it's all about the patient. It's all about the patient, and, and that, that creates quite a dilemma because anytime Anytime you're in an engagement or trying to connect with somebody else, um, if it's all about one side or the other, I mean, if it's all about you, if you're in a relationship someone and, with someone and you say, you know what, this is all about you, it's not about me, it's you-centered, that's going to create a problem. And I think the, the, the converse is true, too. If it's all about me and not about you, that's a problem. There's, there's no room for a successful, uh, uh, an enduring, ses- successful situation if it's focused on one or the other. So what I've done is I've tried to retool that to everyone, help everyone understand that it's not about the patient and it's not about the provider. It's about both in the context of their ability to create a relationship. So it's what's in between the patient and the provider that matters. And then our, our task then, when we're skilled at doing this, is to, is to really evolve that space, is to make that thing between the two clearly defined, clearly understood, and, and apparent to both parties, which means the patient knows they're in a good relationship and the provider knows they're in a good relationship. Now, if you were to, if you were to take all that and have to label it somewhere, you'd have, you could reach into the literature and say, well, that sounds like a therapeutic alliance. And in fact, it is. And the therapeutic alliance is, by definition, an agreement on, on the goals. So the, both the patient and the provider have a specific goal that they both agree on. Not what I think the patient needs, not what the patient thinks they need. We have to do the work to come to an agreement on what the goals are. After that, we have to agree on the tasks required to accomplish those goals. Not what I think they need to do and not with just what the patient thinks they need to do, although I know what they need to do. This is interesting because, you know, I'm the professional and I am the expert. However, the patient has to agree on the tasks necessary or it's going to bust. And then lastly, it's in this concept of unconditional positive regard. Now, unconditional positive regard is not as easy as it sounds because, and I go through a whole, almost a half day, on truly understanding some of the beliefs that patients have and the beliefs, more importantly, that the healthcare provider has, that often prevents this kind of connection. So a lot of work to do this well is, is 
you know, kind of the training necessary to start getting your brain thinking differently about that relationship. So that's a therapeutic alliance. It's the agreement on the goals, agreement on the tasks, and agreement on, or rather, this, this atmosphere of unconditional positive regard. And that's the, uh, that's the long answer. No, that's awesome. I think that's the, well, here's my bias, people. I do understand my biases and my beliefs. That was the correct answer. So I'm going to leave it at that because it's my <laughs> podcast. So, and just run that back. And I, and I'm dead serious, run that back and listen to that a couple of times because what I heard the first pass through may not be what you heard and you're going to hear different things and you may have questions. And I think it's good to run back that what probably about that three to four minute answer to what is a therapeutic alliance. Cause that was a lot different than reading the definition. And I thank you for that, John, because I asked you not for the definition specifically. And that was a perfect living example of it. And one thing I wanted to bring forward about it and we can move on from there because um, I agree with you is, um, is that and everybody knows if you're on social media and if you're not, you still know it. There's this world right now of telling the patient what they need regardless of what they come in and talk about, regardless of what they tell you they think they need or what they tell you they need. And we're going to turn around and tell them. And the word education is thrown around and education is becoming a bad word these days. I swear to God, it's right there with quality care. It's right there with health insurance. It means fucking nothing without context and education what John just described is two people understanding where they're coming from. Yes, there's an expert on the left side or the one side. I'm holding up my left hand right now. There's an expert on the one side and we get it, but that person on the other side wants the expert, but wants an expert that will work with them. So you guys need to roll back John's description of therapeutic alliance and listen for that part of it because that right there ends the argument of telling people what to do. Cool. Yeah, it, it, but and we're into this idea, Jerry, too, this prescriptive idea that, you know, the truth is we do know. And why should we have to take the time and the energy to have to, you know, why don't people just come see us and ask our yeah, opinion right, what we think right. they need and just we just give it to them. You know why we can't do that? Because it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, that flat you out. Know, and the research, yeah, the research is really clear. Information doesn't change behavior, right? So you can't teach people what to do expecting that they're going to do it and i've got a whole you know i've got a whole kind of a a slide set that that really helps people understand this relationship with uh behaviors and capabilities and what they believe and uh that's really kind of a transformative moment in the training program that i've put together it's when they start to see oh yeah that's right i can't just teach somebody I've really got to go a little bit higher in the scale of understanding what's important to them. So I want to take another step back from something I heard during the introduction, John, and thank you for answering all that. Um, Here's the other thing. You said your colleagues, you mentioned some colleagues that came in early and influenced you. And these were not, um, you didn't say what the initials were behind their name or how they were trained. So I've been on your website. I've seen who these colleagues are. I've been preaching we need to listen to these people more. So can you um, explain about your actual doing with these people and what their training is and, again, how they fit into what you just talked about? Yeah. Well, it was about, as I mentioned, about 10 years ago or so. One, and I was 
you know, I used to be the uh, uh, head up of Trinity University of Arizona, and she was as a as a um, as a counselor, social worker, licensed social worker. She was interested in getting kind of into more of sports medicine. So sports medicine, you know, was something I, I had some um, uh, sports psychology and sports medicine, something I had some experience with. So she called me and said, hey, you know, can we get together, have lunch? I'm interested in, in making some contacts at the university. And I kind of said, yeah, I'm busy. I ain't going to work. And, uh, and then she called me back. And, and then I kind of blew her off again. And, and about the fourth time she called, I said, you know what? I really need to kind of listen to this. So we had lunch. She said, can I just follow you around the clinic? And this is, I'm in private practice by this time. So she follows me around the practice. She follows me around practice. She goes like this. She goes, uh, she's just following me, seeing patients. She goes like this. Uh, did you see that? Right. See what? Um, hmm, no. She goes, well, uh, with the next minute, well, how about that? Did you notice that? I went, no. You know, and then, and then you know, by the fourth patient, fourth patient, she's going, uh, did you notice that? And I'm like, no, I didn't notice that. Okay, stop asking me that question. Damn it. The truth is, no, I'm not paying attention to shit. I get it. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> so, so then it was like, it was like, you know, I get this. There's a whole lot that we're not paying attention to. And I think, I think master clinicians really need to pay attention to this. So my colleagues, their background uh, are, is in social worker, social workers, addiction uh, therapy specifically. Uh, I've used NLP in the past, motivational interviewing, solution-focused therapy, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And all of that. So for the past uh, for the past you know ten years or so, I've been marinating in in the practice of that. Now I'm not a psychologist, and that's really important. Uh, and, and what I teach is not for for physical therapy. You do play one on TV, I, though, John. I've seen you on TV. I do. No, you do play a exactly, psychologist I, on TV. I do. I do. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot. Of, that's where therapists have at times pushed back and say, you know, why do I have to deal with that crap? Well. Hmm. The trouble is, uh, you you can't not. I mean, you're going to deal with it one way or the other. You're either going to deal with it constructively, or it's going to wreck your practice and your outcomes and your cancellation no-show rates are going to skyrocket. And you're, I mean, it's just not going to be a good thing because you really can't separate the person from the thing that you're treating. Roll that part back, people. Please listen to that again. Please repeat that, John. Wolf. <laughs> You you can't separate the uh, you can't separate the person from the thing that you're treating. If nothing else, turn the podcast off now. Write that down and go away and go see your patients. <laughs> right, and you know it seems obvious, and it, uh, Jerry, I think it I think it's obvious to most listeners. You know, kind of what we're saying is it's not it's kind of not rocket science, but but what I think people are starting to recognize is that it's like rocket science. It's, it's truly not as easy as it, as it looks. And, and the problem is because people haven't really been trained how to do it. You know, it's like, and I was thinking about this earlier before we got on. I said, you know, how, do you, how does someone really get good at something? You know, and part of that getting good at something, let's just say you want to be a great manual therapist. Well, to be a great manual therapist, I mean, you've got to learn not only the skills to perhaps do a manipulation, as an example. But really, you should be spending time learning everything about what goes into the physiology, the anatomy, the, the, uh, the, uh, the kinesiology of the joint, the kinematics of the joint, 
I mean, if you're going to do this well, you really need to understand the detailed nuts and bolts of what's going on when you use your hands to manipulate a joint. And, and that's different than just learning a quick technique about how to manipulate a joint. See, there's a categorical difference. And I think, I think for us to be uh, contributing to the healthcare environment in the way that physical therapists should be contributing, we really need to be very good at what we do. And I, and I think in large part, many people are, are good. And when, when we start talking now about the importance of a therapeutic alliance, well, we really need to know the details of that. We need to know the, the neuroscience of what happens between the patient and the provider. And, and what happens in that space between the two? What, what kind of brain chemistry gets kicked out when, when, when we start a dialogue or, or this person comes with an intent and expectation? How do we, how do we uh, enhance the expectation? Moreover, and I say most importantly, how do we really inspire motivation so our patients participate in, the, in their own care and uh, get, them, get them owning their own thing so that we can be expert guides rather than people who are going in there just thinking we're gonna fix something, which is how a lot of us have been trained. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Let's, let's recap a little bit there. You heard, you heard what you heard, John. And if you guys didn't get this takeaway, then you're not paying attention and you're not ready for disruption. What you heard John explain was biopsychosocial approach has been around for a lot longer than we've been aware of it. And God bless our profession for grabbing onto this and thank God for those people who have brought it forward. I am a purely bio trained guy. Let me uh, throw it right out there. All bio, all bio. And I've been looking at the psychosocial side. Some of it, not knowing what the hell I was looking at, just going, there is something else here. And every time I engage someone, you know, with this and not knowing where to look for the answers and meeting John and seeing the biopsychosocial, then we get all excited and we want to swing the pendulum, by the way, back to the psychosocial and everybody goes, we're not psychologists. And I think you heard John explain it perfectly, right? We got the bio side and now let's apply some of that psychosocial, which brings me to another point he made, which is evidence-based medicine. We love to preach evidence-based medicine but we don't want to learn evidence-based anything else. Have you ever noticed that, people? Yeah, we love arguing our evidence-based medicine until it's evidence-based business, until it's evidence-based psychology, until it's evidence-based psychology. And once we learn how to mesh all that together, that's what I call evidence-based practice. Your definition of evidence-based practice and mine probably aren't the same because evidence-based practice is bringing everything in, standing across from someone and going, here we go. Let's do this and let's do this right. So thank you for all that, John. And again, I think those are huge points. And you know what I'm going to say right now is there has been a lot of information shared here, people. And what I'm going to highly recommend is you go back and you re-listen to this podcast. We're going to continue this conversation because John and I can continue for maybe only eight hours and I'll give John 30 minutes of it. Don't worry about that. Um, as John very well knows, it's hard to get me off off the mic, but I want you to go back and re-listen to this and think about words like therapeutic alliance, right? Information doesn't change behavior, right? Um, this evidence-based medicine beyond 
physical therapy evidence-based, okay? And think about all those things. And what I'm going to do is bring John back on and we will continue this conversation because I still have a page full of notes I've taken just from this for follow-up questions I want to hit him up with. So John, um, before we sign off, why don't you tell people where they can find you and where they can find out more information about what you're doing? Great. Thanks, Jerry. The um, best place to get a hold of me or, or take a look at patientsuccesssystems.com. And that's a website that, uh, that we have to kind of tell everybody what we're trying to do. And we're trying to transform healthcare. There's no question. Right? We want to change healthcare. We want to disrupt it by getting people truly to put on a new head about it. And uh, it's going to create a lot of master clinicians, people who really, really want to connect with patients. So that's patientsuccesssystems.com. And I'm also uh, an instructor with the IAOM. So that's the International Academy of Orthopedic Medicine. So that's IAOM-US.com. And uh, you know, I'm trying to be a Twitter guy. I mean, I'll never meet the, meet the acumen of, of uh, Jerry Durham, but... I'm swinging out there as hard as I can, and, and I'm at Juan Lobo, Juan, Juan Lobo PT at, uh, at what is that? that no, right? just at Juan Lobo PT. That shows oh, you how much right. he's on at Twitter. The at goes in the front. And it's Juan, J-U-A-N-L-O-B-O-P-T. All right. And right. by the way, it's, uh, by the way, when you Google John Wolf and you type in W-O-L-F, you're not going to find John Wolf. It's John Wolf, W. O O L F just for context right. and patient success like systems. Oh, there you go. Like Virginia. Very good. Uh, patient success systems.com. And then we have I A O M dash us.com for the international association. Academy. International okay. oh, Academy of orthopedic medicine. There we That's go. Good. There we go. I, I don't know. I just, I think I Google his name and just click on the first thing every time I want to find him or I go on my phone and look for John Wolf. So uh, thanks a lot, John. And again, people, we are going to continue this conversation. There's a huge amount of value in here. Good places to get started because this is all about shifting mindset and getting you to think differently about how you, you, that singular PT in your clinic are going to change healthcare. And the more you can connect with that patient across from you, the more greater effect you're going to have in transforming healthcare and being that solution to healthcare that I believe all physical therapists are. So thank you very Which much, John. going to require some skills. You bet. You betcha, Jerry. You bet. Oh, man, skills all over. And yeah, and let's, skills. There's another term that goes in there with quality care and education. Skills. What kind of skills? Communication right. skills, exactly. interpersonal Communication skills. skills. Yeah. You got it. So you guys can see where all the next episodes are going to go here. So thank you very much, John, and thank you all for listening and come back again. Cheers. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healthcare Disruption Podcast. If you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes and write us a review. We'd love to uh, see your thoughts and opinions on this. And uh, if you really like what you heard, then why don't you subscribe so you make sure and get the uh, latest notifications every time we post a new episode. If you want to stay in touch with Jerry, make sure and head on over to jerrydurhampt.com and click on the stay in contact button. And I tend to hang out on Instagram at jerrydurhampt and Facebook at jerrydurhampt. Thank you for listening and we look forward to seeing you again. Bye-bye.